If you have your copy of God's Word, take it and turn with me to First uh, Kings. First Kings. I know last Sunday I whacked off the last two points of the sermon and uh, said I was going to do it this week. But I worked on that sermon all through the week. I was so wound up about what it was saying about the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, How shall they hear of whom they have not, how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And I'm a preacher. And the appointed means of getting the gospel to the world, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God did not send me to baptize, but he sent me to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And And through the folly of what we preach, God has chosen to confound the wise and save sinners. And and I was so wound up about it all week long, I kept writing these massive long treatises on the importance of preaching and how wonderful it is to be a preacher and how great it is to be a preacher and how great preachers are. And I couldn't get my attitude out of it. And so I thought, well, but I'm also working on a series I'm going to do after I finish Romans. Lord willing, I'm going to preach the book of Ecclesiastes, and I've been doing a lot of uh, work on that, and uh, I think I'm going to preach Ecclesiastes, and I thought I'd talk to you about Solomon. I actually gave this almost this exact same sermon uh, this week three times already this week. I gave it one time to a group of kindergartners through fourth grade, and they've, they've gone out. I gave it to those, then I gave it to a group of teenagers later, and they all really seemed to get a kick out of it. And then I gave it to the youth group on Thursday night, or Wednesday night, and it really went well. So I thought, you know what? Basically what I got in this auditorium here is just a bunch of immature people. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So just a bunch of people who are really young at heart and probably could take this kind of a sermon. And so I want to talk to you about the backsliding preacher, the backslider who turned preacher. I want to talk to you about King Solomon for a minute. I want to talk to you about Preaching, too, because preaching is important. Preaching is, is a wonderful thing. It's great to be a preacher. Before God called me to be a preacher, I didn't think too much of it. My dad was a pastor, and uh, I just I looked, like, it looked like a rotten job to me. And I couldn't imagine why my dad would do it for a living. And then the Lord called me to be a preacher, and now I know exactly why he's been doing it his whole life, and that's because it's a calling that God has given to him. And uh, not everybody, not everybody gets the chance to pursue their calling in life. Not everybody gets that chance. There are a lot of people who are forced to work regular jobs, jobs they don't really care for, so they can pursue their calling. Everybody gets to gets to pursue their calling and make their living at it. And by God, and there's a lot of pastors in the United States of America who don't who don't. Don't make their whole living from being a pastor. And I'm, I've been very blessed. I've pastored uh, four churches in my uh, short life. And every church I've gone to, I've been able to be a full-time pastor. I haven't had to really you know, worry. The church has been very gracious to me and very generous. And uh, not every pastor gets to do what I do every day, every week. And so I'm very thankful for it. And I, I love being a preacher. And it's, 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 there's, a, there's a romantic side to it, but... Anyway, I'm sliding off into my other sermon. I can feel it. Let's look at God's word here. 1 Kings chapter number 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. And let's take a reading at verse 5. 
Solomon is the son of David. Now he's becoming, he's become king. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, what shall I give you? What a moment in a person's life. To have God come in a dream and say, what shall I give you? Name it. What will you have? And Solomon said, you have grown, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. Asked this. Asked this. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help me now as I give this sermon. Only, only you can do it justice. And Lord, I pray that it will be your voice that overrides mine. Phrase after phrase. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I want to give you a talk about preaching and tell you, give you the message of a preacher from the Old Testament. A man named Solomon. Preaching is a thing to be valued. Now, people may not, you may not understand this, but all over America, there are churches who are wasting away for want of a preacher, for want of a man to come and lead them and preach God's word to them. All over America, there are churches who are searching. If you, if you read the, the demographics and the studies about churches, you'll see that there is a dearth in America of preaching. It's the same way in England, only it's worse. All over Great Britain, once a a Christian powerhouse, there are small churches in little villages of 500, 200, 1,000 people, and they have a congregation of 2 to to 20 people gathering every Lord's Day to hear a sermon, but there is no one to preach to them. And they're pining, they're hungering for someone to come and preach. They're so desperate that many of them We'll read books of sermons because there, there are a lot of published sermons. They'll read a sermon to a congregation. They'll go online and, and stream it into their little, their little worship centers trying to hear a word from God. Preaching is a thing that must be valued. My friends, God only had one son. His name was Jesus Christ, and God made him a preacher. <laughs> God is Jesus. That's right, Michael. As you you read through the New Testament, you'll see. You'll see Jesus preaching. After his baptism, he goes about throughout all Galilee preaching. So it's it's good to be a preacher. Today I want to borrow a sermon, a sermon idea, from a preacher from ancient times, King Solomon. And I hope that God will seal this to your heart. Now, Solomon is a special boy. 
We've read about him here in 1 Kings chapter 3, how when he becomes king, he realizes he doesn't have the brains he needs. He realizes, I don't have the wisdom to govern this great people, so he turns to God. Now, Solomon has gotten to this situation because he's a special boy. He's the son of David and one of David's wives, a lady named Bathsheba. We all know that story, don't we? How David committed adultery with Bathsheba and she conceived a child and David conspired to have her husband killed to cover up the sin. And then, after that happens, David and Bathsheba's first child together is born and he dies. But then... The Bible says David went in and comforted Bathsheba and she conceived and bore a son and they called his name Solomon, which means peaceful. It means peaceful. And then out of the blue, God comes. He sends Nathan the prophet to come and tell David and Bathsheba God has given this child a special name and he gives him the name Jedidiah. And the name Jedidiah means beloved. And so God comes to David and Bathsheba who have committed a great sin and paid a great price for it with their second child, they may have begun to feel like we are waste. We are just losers to the 10th degree. We don't count. And so what does God do? God sends Nathan to come to let them know that their second child, Solomon, is beloved of the Lord. What a comfort that must have been to them to have the preacher come and knock on the door and say, hey, God wants me to tell you that this child is beloved. What a comfort. And I want you to know something, my friends, is that if God loves you, if you put your faith in him, I know that he loves you. If God loves you, he will bring comfort to you when you need it the most. It doesn't come in in the most, it's not predictable. You don't quite know when it's going to come. But I've been a Christian long enough to know that every once in a while, out of the heavens comes a finger. And it reminds me that God loves me and cares about me. Even when I don't deserve it. His attitude towards us is mercy and grace again and again. So this boy Solomon, he grows up and he becomes king of Israel When his father is ill, there's a little gap there. He becomes king slightly before David passes away. But once David dies, Solomon is now the king. And the Bible says he goes in and offers 10,000 sacrifices in the the place of worship. And then he realizes he's wise. He's wise enough to know that he doesn't know enough. That's really really important. you got to know when you're over your head, don't you? You have to know when you're over your head. I had a Mazda truck when Valerie and I first got married, and, and I bought it uh, for like 800 bucks, and I drove it to work every day. Then one day driving to work, I blew a head gasket. And uh, if I could do it over again, I would just drive it with a blown head gasket. <laughs> but I decided after hours, I pulled out the motor. I worked in a diesel shop. I was in the warehouse. I was not a mechanic. I pulled, we pulled the motor out of that truck, put it on a motor stand, and I decided to rebuild that motor following a Chilton manual. <laughs> a few people groan because they know what I'm talking about. I decided to just go step by step and rebuild this motor. And I got through it and I realized that I needed to regrind the valve seats. Larry, what's so funny? <laughs> regrind the valve seats. I'd never, I didn't know there was such a thing called a valve grinder. 
I didn't know there were jigs or, or part. I had no idea. But back in the back, this old guy said, we got a valve grinder back there in the back. So I took the head back there, set it on that machine, and I, and I, I, I thought, now what do I do? And right then, I was looking at that and all those sharp tools and thought, you know, I could really mess something up right here. But I thought, hey, you only live once. Right? I fired that dude up. And right then, an old man called out, no! (laughs) Butch Graves. He came over and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to grind these valves. I'm going to grind these valve seats. He said, have you ever done that before? I said, no. He said, what's wrong with you? Are you crippled too high for crutches? Are you a brick shy of a load? Are you an idiot? Of course, the answer to all those questions was yes. <laughs> so, I said, Butch, will you show me? He said, nope, I'm just going to do it. Within five minutes, he ground all those valve seats. I was back over there putting that head back on that block. You have to know when you're over your head. Solomon realizes he doesn't have the wisdom he needs. So he does what all really wise people do, is he turns to God and asks God for wisdom. Now, friends, remember remember this. You have knowledge and you have wisdom. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. You learn stuff, then you have to know how to use it. I've been a Christian minister for 20-odd years, and I know a lot of stuff. Just because that's the nature of the business is, to, is to, to know stuff. But you have to know when to use it, when to apply it, what to say to people, how to say it to people. So wisdom is the right use of knowledge. Solomon had the best education probably that money could buy, but he had to know how to use this knowledge. And so he asked God for it. And I want to say this to you. What Solomon experiences here is something that you too can experience. James chapter 1, verse number 5 says this, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and does not mock. If you realize you're over your head, you should turn to God and say, Lord, I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to pull this off. I need you to help me. And God does not hear your little voice from heaven and laugh at you or mock you or ridicule you. God says, that's the right move. And he gives us the wisdom that he needs. He imparts to us this special understanding. One more illustration about this. In, 19, in, the, in the year that Valerie's father passed away, we were going to go down to, to, the, to the funeral and, and we lived in a different place. And our car was not running right. It was messed up. And so the, the, somebody at the church where we went to, they lent us their car to drive down to the funeral. We came back. And I still had to fix this car. And I could not figure it out. I drove it over to an auto parts store, and they read the codes. And I could not figure out what it was. They said, you must have a cracked plenum, which is on the intake. And so I pulled that off, you know, and I filled it with water and plugged it and tried to look for a leak or a crack. I couldn't see a crack anywhere in it. And so I put the plenum back on there. But what am I going to do? It's just, it's just you driving, and just, just acting weird. And so finally I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. And I prayed. I said, God, I don't know what to do. So I took it to the auto parts store. I convinced the, the guy at the auto parts store to erase the code which is something they're not allowed to do because you might take your used junker down there and erase the code and then go trade it in and say, ah, no, it's okay. But I got the guy to erase the code. I drove out of there. It coded. I took it right back. I felt felt like the Lord was saying, just take it back. 
The guy read the code. The code was mass airflow sensor. I, th- I thought, well, I called the junkyard. Anyway, long story short, I was over. the Lord gave me some wisdom that I needed at the time. I knew how to do a lot of stuff to a car, but I needed to know something specific, and God really helped me with that. And I say that to you so that you can know that, now I'm not saying if your wife needs surgery, Lord, show me how to cut her. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but I'm saying that the Lord, he can help you. If you'll turn to him in humility, he'll give you some wisdom. Now, Solomon, though he's very wise, God gives him wisdom and gives him some, some real blessings. He still does foolish things because wise people can still do things they should. They can still behave unwisely. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, the Bible gives the rules for kings. The rules for kings. And three of those rules stick out to me, and they're connected to Solomon. Three things the king couldn't do. These are prohibitions. Number one, he was not supposed to multiply to himself horses. So he was not allowed to have a lot of horses. The second rule was he was not allowed to multiply wives. He wasn't supposed to have a lot of wives. And then the third thing, he was not supposed to have excessive gold or silver. These are three things he's not supposed to do. Not too many horses, not too many wives, and not too much money. Basically saying, be kind of in the middle, you might say. Now Solomon, what Solomon does is he breaks these rules as he goes forward with his life. Because he's wise on one day, but the other days he seems to be less wise. Now, you may say, what's the problem with too many horses? Too many horses in that time period was like having, if you're a king and you had a lot of horses, that meant you had a lot of chariots for your army. And in that time period, a chariot was like a weapon of war. The highest, uh, the most technical, the most advanced weapon of war you can imagine is a chariot. Remember how, as you read the Old Testament, they would talk about the Assyrians who had 900 chariots of iron. Well, the Bible says, there's kind of a debate about this, about how this should be interpreted in the Old Testament. Some some people say that Solomon had 4,000 horses. In another place, it says Solomon had 40,000 stalls for horses, which would imply that he had 40,000 horses. So Solomon has a lot of horses, And and these horses which meant chariots, which we would think of as a lot of tanks. Think of it if the governor of, of our fair state decided to, that she was going to expand the, the state militia and put tanks in every little town. Tanks in every little township. And she decided to you know, buy some tanks and send them around. How would that make you feel as a citizen? Well, some of us, we'd be like, we'd be like cool. Tanks are cool. But it was about fear. The king was not supposed to intimidate people with fear. And then the second thing is wives. Why not too many wives? We all know the answer to that, don't we, brothers? One wife, one mother-in-law. Two wives, two. (laughs) Well, the real reason is because if you love your wife, you want to please her. And if you love both your wives, you want to please them both. If you, love, if you have three wives, <laughs> you want to please all three of them. 
And the, the main prohibition was that the wives would turn the king's heart away from the Lord. Now, we all have relationships with people in our lives. Could be a husband, could be a wife, could be a friend, brother, sister, mom or dad. And the people who we care about, they put pressure on us to do things. And if it's pressure to do the right thing, well, that's, that's not really bad. But the problem is, is a lot of people in our lives try to pressure us to do the wrong things. And I used to think that that stopped when you, when you turned 18. But it lasts a long time. You're always facing pressure from people. And the warning was, if, if he has a lot of wives, they'll turn his heart away from God, which is exactly what happens. Number three, gold and silver. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10 says this, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. There are a lot of evils that men and women do in this world that are they're motivated by financial gain, by money, by money. So this king, is, he says, don't do these things. This is the rules, and Solomon breaks all these rules. He has lots of horses, lots of wives. I didn't tell you the surprising number of wives Solomon had. Solomon had 700 wives. Seven, I, I, I hear you. 700 wives. Keeps a man pretty busy. 700. And the Bible says he turned, they turned his hearts away from him because he married wives from other cultures and they were heathens, they were pagans. And the Bible says that Solomon began to worship Chemosh, Milcom, Ashtoreth, and Molech. All of those religions were fertility religions. Sex was a part of the worship of those gods, and also child sacrifice. Also, these, are, these were barbarous things that he got involved in. They turned his heart away from the Lord. Well, Solomon's a man who's in a covenant relationship with God. And he's, he turns from the Lord, and he suffers for it. Take, take your Bible, turn a few pages to 1 Kings chapter 11, and listen to verses 1 through 13. This verse 1, chapter 11, verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, the Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Zidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations that concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for they will surely turn your heart after their gods. So Solomon clung to these in love. This idea of clinging is that he knows it's wrong. Maybe somebody said, don't do it, but he clings to it anyway, knowing this is the wrong thing to do. Now the consequences of these actions are in verse number 6. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Verse 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart turned away from the Lord. The God of Israel, I marked this in my Bible, who had appeared to him twice. Twice. Once. One appearing of God to you is remarkable. Twice. Phenomenal. Outstanding. Two times God appears to Solomon. Verse 11. Because of Solomon's turning away from God to idols, therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely 
tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I'm going to leave you with just a piece of it. Just a piece of it. Solomon suffers for his actions. His conscience. He must have really been troubled at some point by his conscience. Because you and I both know that you can be doing the wrong thing and feel bad about it while you're doing it. Or soon after. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, I tried every kind of amusement possible. I got me men who could sing, women who could sing, women who could dance, men who could dance. I got me horses. I built me houses. I went after knowledge and wisdom. He went into the scholastics. I mean, he went everywhere to keep his mind occupied. Now, I, I, I kind of think that amusements are a way to quiet our conscience. We'll turn on the radio. We, we don't really like to be alone with our own thoughts. We don't like to be alone where we can hear the voice we don't want to hear sometimes, the voice of God. You ever know, you know how kids are? They're, they're watching TV or playing a game, put their headphones on, turning the TV up real loud, and they can't really hear mom in the background. Kind of drowned it out. When I worked at a factory back in the day, I used to wear earplugs. When I first got them, I thought, this is great. I can't hear anybody. But over time, what happens when you wear earplugs? All, all the noise gets funneled out, but you can still hear pretty good. It's a fascinating thing where the brain works. Actions have consequences. Solomon does bad things, and God says, okay. Here are the consequences. I'm going to take away from you that which I've given you. I've given you the kingdom. I've given you the whole enchilada. And I'm going to take it away and leave you just a sliver. Just a sliver. Now when Solomon hears this, he doesn't just take it lying down. The rest of chapter 11 says that God raises up a man named Jeroboam to break up the kingdom. But look at chapter 11, verse number 40. Look what Solomon does. God says, I'm going to break up the kingdom. Jeroboam is the obvious person who rises up. He has the power, the opportunity. He has the the momentum to divide the kingdom. And look at verse 40. What does it say that Solomon tries to do? Kill him. Solomon realizes, this is going to happen, so I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill Jeroboam. What does Jeroboam do? He flees to Egypt. You see, God says to Solomon, you've you've disobeyed me, now it's time to suffer. And Solomon, still kind of in a rebellious heart, in my opinion, says, oh yeah? Because when, when, when your heart's not right with God, you really do some dumb stuff. Remember in the Bible, there's a man named Jonah? God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah says, I don't want to go to Nineveh. So Jonah buys shipping on a ship, and he's headed west. Some people say he's going to go, his ultimate goal is all the way after Joppa, is to make it all the way to the Isle of Britain. And so he heads, he heads west, and he's on the ship, thinks he's got away, get, got away with it, and who comes and finds him on the ship? God. A storm comes. And the storm is so bad that the sailors... They're afraid they're going to die. They're, worship, they're offering sacrifices to their idols. And finally they say to Jonah, who are you? He says, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a preacher. And I'm not doing what God wants me to do. 
And so they say, okay. And then finally Jonah says, just throw me overboard. Jonah was so stubborn, he doesn't want to go preach in Nineveh. He doesn't want to go to northern Michigan so bad. Nineveh, northern Michigan, same thing. He doesn't want to go there so bad that he says, I'd rather die. And the men, they don't want to throw him over. They know it's certain death. It's the, it's the crazy storm. They know he can't. He's not, he's not going to make it. Finally, they throw him overboard. And what's there waiting for him? The Bible says God had prepared a great fish. Three days and three nights in the whale's belly. And when Jonah got done with that graduate degree, they, the whale spit him out on dry land. And guess where he goes? He goes to Nineveh, a.k.a. northern Michigan. <laughs> and when he gets there, what does he do? Yes. <laughs> when he gets there, he still has a bad attitude about it. He goes into the city, and his sermon is only about eight words long. Forty days, and Nineveh's going to be destroyed. That's the whole gist of his sermon. And what does God do? Boom. Evangelical grace falls, and the city's converted. People are saved. And then what's Jonah's attitude about it? He's mad about it. He sits down and cries and says, Lord, I knew you'd save them. <laughs> Here's a preacher saying he's mad because God saved these people. So when your heart's not right with God, you'll do and say some dumb stuff. Solomon tries to kill Jeroboam. It fails. This is God telling Solomon, I'm the real king here. Because Solomon's power had gone to his head, and that's what happens to us. You remember when you worked on the line with somebody? You ran a machine right beside Bill, and you guys were good buddies, and you worked hard together. And then one day, the boss man said, Bill, we want you to be a supervisor. And as soon as Bill stepped across and started sitting at a desk instead of running a machine, what happened to Bill's attitude? thought he was better than you, didn't he? Really let it go to his head. Or maybe you were Bill. Because that happened to me and I was Bill. And you thought, oh, I'm the, I'm the man now. And breaks her, you know. <laughs> anyway, you know how it goes. So Solomon, he realizes God's the real one here. Now, this is not in the scripture. What I'm about to say to you. This is not in the scripture as far as I can tell. The, the, my, the my knowledge as revealed, I can't find it. But somewhere between 1 Kings chapter 40 and 1 Kings chapter 42, because 1 Kings chapter 11 ends with the death of Solomon. He dies. Somewhere between his failure to kill Jeroboam and his death, Solomon becomes a preacher. Because almost all Old Testament scholars say that Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes after he comes back to God. So he was a backslider, who became a preacher. At the end of his life, after having tried everything possible, and after having, having, and after having had to learn things the hard way, he says, now I got a message. Now I got something I want to say. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse number 1. Solomon, this is striking to me. Solomon identifies himself. These are the words of not the king, not the son of David. These are the words of the preacher. The son of David, the king in Jerusalem. 
These are the words of a voice from God. These are the words of a preacher. And he begins to give this message. And this book of Ecclesiastes has been captivating people for centuries. Here are two examples from American pop culture that you'll really get a kick out of. How many of you guys remember 1969? The rest of us read about it. In 1969, there was a a British band called The Birds. Anybody know who The Birds are? And they took this section of Scripture, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 9, and they set these words to music. To everything there is a season. Turn, turn, turn. They took God's inspired word and set it to music, and then people have been recording it down through the decades, making a mint off of it, because they realize, yes, this is a true thing. There are seasons to life. There's a a time to build, and there's a time to destroy. There's a time to love, and there's a time to kill. All these things. And then, in the 80s, there was a movie called Footloose. With our our man Kevin Bacon. And he gets stuck in this town with no dancing. You guys remember how it goes? He finally appears before the town council, the school board, to try to get him to let him have a dance at the school. And where's he, where's he, open, where's he open the book to? It was Ecclesiastes. And it says, there's a time to dance. It's in this same reading. Three, one, and nine. The same thing. So this book is... This book has some meat to it. This book has some weight to it that even people who are not Christians can get their mind around. Solomon, the words of the preacher, and here's the gist of his message. Chapter 1, verse number 2. He says, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And for the next 11 chapters... Solomon says, all pleasure is vanity. All work is vanity. All wealth is vanity. Every gain is, he says, everything is vanity. Everything is empty. There's this, there's this great reading, and I've thought about this a lot as a, as, a, as a father and as a pastor. It says, a wise, a wise man builds a great empire But his son is a fool. Does he want to leave his vast wealth to his foolish son? Knowing that this guy's just going to squander it away? And this is the problem that older pastors have sometimes. Is an older pastor will pastor a church for a long time and have success. And then it's time for him to retire and step step step, step, step aside. Thank you, Dave. Step aside and let somebody else do it. And he doesn't, he doesn't like it. It's like, why? Well, he doesn't know if he can handle it. These, these are frustrating things, but you have to let things go. You have to let things go. If my dad's listening, Dad, you have to let me have that pistol. <laughs> you can't keep it forever. <laughs> what Solomon says is everything you build is going to be left behind. Every empire that's built will be left behind. 
all pleasures are temporal. It's, it's, it's empty. It's vain. And then he says, at the end of the book, he says, there are coming evil days in which each of us, no matter who we are, will say, I have no pleasure in them. I read two years ago Walter Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs. I also read Isaacson's biography of Einstein, two fascinating people to read about. In the end of Jobs' life, he's dying of pancreatic cancer. He's dying. This man, this man has, he has vast wealth. Vast wealth. Incredible wealth. An opportunity. But in the end, he has to say he can't make himself happy anymore. The cancer is destroying him. The evil days have come. Now, I've, I hope I'm at middle age. I'm 44 years old, so I hope that's middle for me. I sure hope it's not three quarters. <laughs> it might be. I'm in the middle probably, I hope, by God's grace. You start to think about what this means to have evil days which, in which you have no pleasure. <clears throat> evil days. It's kind of sobering. The preacher says here, he says, there is only one thing that has eternal and everlasting benefit to us, and it's his summation, his, his big idea in chapter 12. Verse 10, the preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these words. Of making many books there is no end, and of much study is the weariness of flesh. So here's the, here's the big idea Solomon has. The end of the matter. The authorized version says, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. At the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or whether evil. Solomon's summation is we should fear God and obey Him. Why is that? Because there's another phase to this life. This life is going to come to an end and you're going to enter the presence of God. And when you enter the presence of God, you want to meet God on the positive side, not the negative side. So you want to have the right fear of God. And the right fear of God will cause you to do a couple things. The first thing it will cause you to do is to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, intentionally, on purpose, with sincere faith, you ain't going to heaven. You have to put your faith and trust in Christ. You have to call upon Him. You're drowning in your own sin. If you want to be saved from your own sin, there's only one Savior, there's only one name that's saved, and that's the name of Jesus. Jesus. If you die without putting your faith in Christ, you're going to be awful disappointed in the last day. There's another phase to life after this. <clears throat> now, we're not saved by works. And I said that very plainly about calling upon Christ to be saved. That way you're not confused. We do not teach, the New Testament does not teach that we are saved by works at all. But you should think about obeying God 
and working for God so that you can have rewards in the millennium. Now, this is my own take on the millennium, okay? This is my own take. It's, it's teriology. You know, do with it as you see fit. And this is really, it's from my dad. My dad would say it like this. In the millennium, when Jesus comes and sets up the 1,000-year kingdom, my dad would say it like this. The size of the checks that you can write in the millennium are based on how you serve the Lord in this life. The rewards. Jesus said, do not lay for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust corrupts or thieves break through and steal, but rather live for yourselves treasure in heaven where there are no crooks, where there is no rust. Amen? And there's no moth to eat, eat it. So you should be serious about serving the Lord because you want to be rewarded by the Lord. Jesus says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the things that have been prepared for you. We'll be rewarded in the millennium. And a life devoted to Christ will bring you eternal joy. And this is kind of Solomon's overwhelming theme. Overwhelming theme. He kind of goes back on himself a couple times where he says that all these pleasures God's given to us, are, they're good pleasures. There is nothing better than cashing your check on Friday. Amen? You guys remember that feeling at your first paycheck? You went down to, well, you went down to this bank or some store somewhere and cash your paycheck and, the, and it gives you, that, gives you that, that wad of cash. Isn't it nice to have a wad of cash? How many of you kids have ever seen a dollar bill? <laughs> it's nice to have cash. It's nice to take that cash and go down to Pier 33 here in Sheboygan and get that. They got this Cajun salmon dinner down there. It's salmon on uh, mashed potatoes and garlic and it's got this sauce on it. It's so good if you put it on top of your head, your tongue will beat your brains out to get it. (laughs) It is really really good. And that, that's, it's so great to be able to do that. Enjoy the fruits of your labors. These are blessings that God's given to you. But without Christ, it's vanity. It's going to fade away. Christ will make these pleasures enduring and for all times. Now, just these few things in closing. Solomon was a man who was serving the Lord and then falls away from God and comes back. We call that backsliding. And Solomon's backsliding, just like your backsliding and mine, started right in his own heart. And you might be backsliding. I heard John Piper say this week that the danger of the Christian life is not running away from God, it's drifting away from God. And I want you to think about your drifting. Are you drifting away from him? And, and, and really, maybe, frankly, you might be running away from God in your own heart. You might be running. If you're one of God's children, you're going to hit the wall. You're going to fall. And when you fall, I want you to know something. God's not done with you. Turn back to him. Call upon him. He'll receive you. 
just like you and I. If one of your kids is out there doing things they shouldn't do, and then when they hit the wall, and they call you on the phone, Dad, I need a plane ticket. I need a bus ticket. I need some bail money. I want to come home and get squared away. What are you going to do? Well, you do what we've all done. You say, where do I send it? Here's a picture of my credit card front and back. Just get back here. Solomon, when he turns back to God, that's what happens. And then God makes him a preacher. <laughs> and his last, people know more about Solomon from Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon than they know about his, his sins. They know about his writings, how he has been used by God. Turn back to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And thank you for the patience of these people. They listen to me knock on now. Bless us as we sing this great old hymn. In Christ's name I pray.